Make America debate again. In this corner, a Jew, Dennis Prager. And in this corner, yours truly, the Gentile, Jack Hibbs. On this episode, my good friend and I, Dennis Prager, we sit down for a lot of fun and information as we discuss many different topics and issues, some of which are pulled right out of today's headlines. This special Jewish-Christian dialogue, if you would, is moderated by Dudley Rutherford, and I want you to hear what we both had to say. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to Jack Hibbs' podcast by hitting subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. Then also, as a reminder, stay connected with me to find fresh new programs, messages, live events, all by going to jackhibbs.com. Adjust your pods, turn up the volume, get ready, let's roll. Real Life Real Life presents the Jack Hibbs Podcast. With intention and boldness to proclaim truth, equip the saints, and impact our culture. You can get the outlines of this podcast by going to jackhibbs.com slash podcast. Today, if this podcast lifts you up and encourages you to live a more fulfilled life in Christ, then make sure you leave us one of those five-star ratings. To us, that's like saying amen or yes. Then that rating will encourage others to listen. Now open your hearts to what God's Word has to say to you. My question for both of you, uh, because I, you know, I, I, know, I know both of you, but, but uh, when, you, when you get up in the morning today, tomorrow, the day after, you eat breakfast and you walk out your front door of your house, do you feel as though there's any divine purpose for your life? And if so, what is that call? What is the call of God upon your life right now? Jack, you want to go first? Absolutely, yes, 100%. I mean this with all of my heart. For those of you who have heard me say this before, I literally ask God to fill me with his Holy Spirit before my feet get out of my bed. I get my feet right over the edge of my bed and I say, Lord, fill me with your spirit today that I'd walk in your power and Lord, that I might just cause others to just get a little little closer to Jesus, a little closer to knowing the love of God. So use me today, interrupt my schedule today any way you wish. And so here I come, and I put my feet on the ground. And from that moment f- further, I do not look back. I just go forward every day. That, is, that may sound religiously active to you. For me, it's so meaningful and purposeful because the book of Isaiah tells us that our God knows. Our God knows. He's the God that has written the things of the future down in ancient times. And I'm a big fan of him knowing the future. He knows the now. And he's the eternal one. And he told Moses in the burning bush, I am, you go tell the children of Israel, I am that I am sent you. The eternal one that's self-contained. I trust him every day. If, if he can lead them through the wilderness and if he, he can keep Jupiter moving and the moon doing what it does, then he's got my life. And he's never let me down once, not once ever. Well, you asked me the $64,000 question of my life. So I recognize more and more over the course of my life 
that I'm not normal. Thank you. He said, he said we thank God for that. I, 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 I'm glad you feel that way. So here's an example. When I was a junior in high school, I kept a diary. I still have the diary, and I wrote. I know exactly what I do, what I want to do with my life. I want to influence people to the good. To write that as a junior in high school is not normal. <laughs> and I have not deviated a day from that in my life. My older son, when he was about 21, said to me something that made me aware of how abnormal it was, and it was important that he told me this. He said, Dad, you have no idea how lucky you are that you knew so early what you wanted to do with your life. Most people don't. And he was right. And he was speaking for himself, for that matter. He's blossomed into a spectacular young man. But most people don't know at 21. Many don't know at 61. And I knew at 16, and I haven't deviated. I have always felt, and I, 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 I can say this to a religious audience, because you'll, you'll know what I mean. I have always seen myself as a vehicle. I'm not an end, I'm a vehicle. And it has given me such staggering peace. So if God wants to use me, it'll continue. And if he doesn't want to use me, it won't continue. So I've never asked how successful am I. I just know what I have to do. I want to make one more point, though, about me and God. We have a respectful relationship, <laughs> more than a loving one, which to many of you is, is not heretical, but perhaps strange. Uh, I have only asked God once in my life for something. By the way, I got it. So it was sort of like, I'll show you, Dennis, <laughs> you arrogant skeptic. But literally one time in my life, I, my life is overwhelmingly, what does God want from me? rather than what do I want from God. I think it's a beautiful way to live a life for many, many reasons, which I won't get into, but that is how I lead my life. And I think I'm clear about what he wants me to do. So yes, I walk out of my house every day with a sense of mission. A guy asked me this week, uh, uh, who has asked me this? Was it somebody at the station or someone on the radio? Dennis, you're broadcasting 40 years. Do you still love it? And I'm thinking, first of all, why wouldn't I? <laughs> How many people get to talk to millions of people about what they think every day? I mean, <laughs> you, you, you got to be joking. Uh, would I not when, did I, when would I stop loving it in year 31? I, I don't understand. But aside from that, that's not the issue. I have a mission. So the, isn't, is the question, Jonah ran away from his mission. I embraced it. This is my mission. And it gives me spectacular energy. And, and, and when I'm, I'm with 
1,800 people like you, all it does is reinforce, I may be doing something right. And that's a wonderful thing. Dennis, I would, that's beautiful. I would add with your batting average at prayer, Oh, yes. That you should ask more often. You're right. <laughs> I'm afraid I'll get disappointed. I, I fully acknowledge. <laughs> this is true. It's childish of me what I just said, but I, I'm being totally open. I, I, I don't want to push my luck. <laughs> I'm one for one and retiring. Hey, I have something for you. It's compact, but it's powerful, and it packs a punch. It's a booklet that we've put out called Countdown, All Eyes on God's Ultimate Endgame. But what does that mean? In light of what's going on in the world around us, I have never seen the pieces coming together so well and so aligned, according to Bible prophecy, like we see right now in these end times. Are we living in the last days? What should we be looking for? I asked myself these questions, and looking only to the Word of God, I found the answers. True answers according to the Scriptures. Countdown. All Eyes on God's Ultimate Endgame is a pocketbook I wrote, and I want you to have it. And this is available for a gift of any amount. Simply go to jackhibbs.com. All the information is right there on how you can obtain a copy for yourself, hot off the press, as it were. jackhibbs.com. You can order it now. So here's my question to the two of you. Since we have people here that are Jewish and, 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 and Christian, Dennis, if someone comes up and said, just say, hey, what is your faith? How do you answer that question? Just what is your faith? And then the same thing to you, Jack. Jewish. You just, that's all you say? Well, that's all they asked. <laughs> okay. I, uh, do they ever ask you what I, kind of a Jew? I, I, oh, no, that's fine. If they ask a second question, I have more to say. <laughs> was that like a Jewish answer? Was that uh... <laughs> a Jewish answer? Would have been, "What do you mean?" <laughs> Jews answer with questions, but I—I I do have other faith? questions. What's my faith? Actually, well, well, I mean, the, if you want to go that further, you practice, <laughs> the faith that you practice. I—I I, I am a practicing Jew. Uh, I am non-denominational. I believe the Torah is from God, the first five books of the Bible. I, uh, uh, I am uh, my, if you want to go further, uh, and this is re re relevant to me, not necessarily to anybody else, my vehicle to God is reason. It's part of the reason that I have been able to bring many people to Christianity and many people to Judaism. When I was in, uh, my wife was with me in uh, the Czech Republic last year when I spoke in Hungary and the Czech Republic. I was at a dinner with about 20 young people, and it was very moving. Guy comes over to me, guy living in Prague, and thanks, thanks to PragerU's reach, and he said, I just want you to know, Ben Shapiro brought me to conservatism, and you brought me to God. Wow. And he's a, he's a, a faithful Christian. And I looked at him, and they were all listening, and I said, I can't tell you how happy and proud I am. All I ask from you is, tell everybody it was two Jews who did that.
It's true. The first time I met Dennis, I said, you're my favorite Jew. And he goes, that's not true. I'm your second favorite Jew. <laughs> right? It's true. <laughs> so, I assume you're going to ask me the same question. My question, I believe, is uh, the right question, the, the right answer, the answer I'm going to give you is, listen, I just sounded Jewish for a second. Um, I believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, listen, this might shock some of you. I have no idea. I would have no idea if the New Testament's true unless I've read the Old Testament. You got to understand that. Everything that, the, everything that Moses and the prophets said and wrote about is in the Old Testament. Okay? But... What Christians do in the West is they don't read the Old Testament, they read the New. So my question to you is, how do you know it's true? You'll never know it's true unless you read the Jewish scriptures. Because listen, when the first century church met and Paul told the Corinthians in Greece about the gospel, that Christ was to come and die as our sacrificial lamb and be resurrected... Paul said that to the Corinthians, and he said, I teach you this based upon the scriptures. What scriptures was he referring to? Old Testament. There was no New Testament then. So for me, I'm a Gentile that's been grafted in to what is known as the commonwealth of Israel. Isn't that what the scriptures say? The scriptures say that we who are Gentiles have come to faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why, personally, I'm, I would need the sheriff's protection for this. If somebody were to come to me and say, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in Israel, or the, I don't believe in the Jews, I'd have to have the sheriff hold me back. Because I don't know what book you're reading. So I have the privilege, Dudley and I have the honor and the privilege to be grafted into the promises of the Hebrew Scriptures. And, and so... I'm a, I would say in this day and age, and I'm done, I'm a follower of Yeshua. I believe that Jesus is Messiah. I'm the follower of what I believe the Hebrew scriptures teach of the Messiah coming. You may disagree with that. That's fine. But I have to tell you, we're not far apart. Do you understand that? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You need to go find out well, is. we're not only not far apart, but, I mean, I say this with the joy of knowing you and many like you here and you, but I say this with sadness as well, that, in fact, in terms of what matters to me more than anything, values, I'm much closer to you than to most Jews. And, and I mean, and by the way, most of you are closer to me than to most non-Jews. It just, it's, a, so, I, I'm so aware of this, and it's been so long in my life. Uh, I, I was blessed by God or faith, I never know which, because how can I say for sure? My first professional job, well, no, my first radio job, in my 30s, was Religion on the Line. Some of you will remember the program. Um, um, yes, it, it was. Awesome. I was asked to be the moderator of a Sunday night show 
which was the most, became, it was and then even further, the most popular radio show in LA on Sunday nights. If you have 3% of listeners, you are usually the number one show in your city. That show had 40% of LA listeners on a Sunday night. People, you have no idea how many women came over to me, which I, I actually liked. Dennis, just, I was a single guy and they came over and they go, you know, I just want you to know, I, I go to bed with you every Friday night, every Sunday night. <laughs> It's like, I'll never forget, I, have, I get a lot of these, these, these comments keep me young, I have to say. <laughs> a woman calls my show about a year ago, and she goes, I just want you to know, I, uh, I have breakfast uh, with uh, Hugh Hewitt, and I shower with you. <laughs> I thought that was a beautiful comment, frankly. I... <laughs> anyway, I was blessed to moderate this program I came from a very hermetically sealed Orthodox Jewish background in Brooklyn, New York. I not only never met Christians, I, I never met non-Orthodox Jews. <laughs> it was really, it was hermetically sealed. My wife who was here has heard this many times, so I always feel a little twinge of guilt. But you haven't, <laughs> so it's fine. I, I'm, into my nature was built an ache to know the other. Ache. I would actually try to time knowing when the mailman came to interview him. He, I knew he wasn't Jewish. So I just wanted to talk to him. What are you like, sir? Do you have a family? I mean, whatever it might be. My father in the, I'm old enough to remember radios you know, where you actually dialed the station. You turned a dial. For those of you young here, that's what we do. We turn dials. So to get to what he wanted, he would pass, you know, 10 stations. And whenever he passed an evangelical preacher, I'd go, Dad, stop. And he goes, Dennis, that's, that's a Christian preacher. I go, I know. I want to hear it. And, and that, those are the moments when my father didn't, wasn't sure if I was adopted. Uh, <laughs> He didn't know where I came from. So, but I remember I was so interested in Christians. And so here I am, my first radio job, a priest, minister, rabbi every week, different ones each week. And this is what happened. Number one, after, it was 10 years, August 82 to August 92, exactly 10 years. And I remember by year four, I thought, I'm f I, I, I could choke up. I'm falling in love with these Christians. That's how I felt with both the pastors and the priests. I just, I really adored them. They were such sweet people in, in almost every case. And then I came to another realization. The biggest differences every single week were not between the Jews and the Christians. It was between the liberals and the conservatives. A liberal rabbi agreed with everything the liberal priest and liberal minister had to say, and the conservative rabbi believed, agreed with everything the conservative priest and the conservative minister had to say. Yeah, they didn't agree on Jesus, and that was it. But every other issue in life, they, that was the dividing line, and it's been true my whole life.
I'm going to ask a question. <laughs> okay, so, so th 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 that was, was that great or was that great? Come on, come on. Wait, wait, wait. Which are you clapping for? Great number one or both, great number both. two? Both, okay, both. This, this is good stuff. So here, here's the question. It's written down here. I wrote it down in ink. This is not just, this is all God-ordained here. The Old Testament, which you both, both, both of you believe in the Old Testament. There's 39 books in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament paints a prophetic picture of a coming Messiah. You both believe that the Old Testament paints this picture of, it's prophetic, that someday out yonder the Messiah is going to arrive. And, of course, Christians believe, Dennis believe, uh, uh, Jack believes that Jesus was the one who fulfilled all of those Old Testament prophecies in those 39 books. And Dennis does, to my knowledge, does not believe that Jesus fits the prophetic word from the Old Testament that Jesus is, is not who that Old Testament is, is painting as the Messiah. So my question to both of you, one is to Dennis, different questions, same topic. Dennis, why do, you, why do you not believe that Jesus is a fulfillment of those prophecies that were painted? And Jack, why do you believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of those Old Testament prophecies? I had a feeling that would be asked tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, let, me, let me, there are many answers. So I try to narrow it down to a few that hopefully you will appreciate if, if, if whether you, I'm obviously not agree with necessarily. But this will may come as a surprise to you. The dividing line between Judaism and Christianity theologically is not with regard to whether Jesus was the Messiah. It's whether Jesus was God. Jews would have, there would never have been a, a division of a new creation called Christianity. It simply would have been Jews for Jesus, uh, which is a, a group that exists in America, for example. If the only difference was who's the Messiah, everyone who believed that Jesus was the Messiah would have stayed a Jew. The Jews would have accepted them as Jews. Jews don't disqualify people on the basis of their belief on who's the Messiah. Jews have believed any number of Jews Bar Kochba was uh, in, in the revolt against uh, the, uh, the Romans. He, he was regarded uh, as a Messiah unknown to most Jews, let alone non-Jews. Half the Jewish people believed in 1666 that a Turkish Jew named Shabtai Tzvi was the Messiah. None of them were uh, regarded as not being Jews. Uh, there, there have been a handful of co contemporary living Jews today who believe the, this, this great man, the, the, the Chabad rabbi, Rabbi Schneerson, was the Messiah. Most, most Chabad Jews do not hold that, but some do. They're not read out of the Jewish faith. The issue is the Trinity and, and, and Jesus' uh, being regarded as, as God or Son of God. That was the dividing line. So the messianic issue is, is not the fundamental dividing line between the faiths. 
Number two, the, there's a different role that the Messiah plays in Christian theology than Jewish theology. The, the Jewish Messiah is not a savior. It's just a, a figure that God will send, and, and it's really debated in, in, in Jewish life, what will happen? Will that usher in the afterlife? Will it usher in just a wonderful world here? We don't have as worked out as Christians do uh, the issue of what the Messiah is or will be or who it will be. We pray for the Messiah. It's one of the 13 principles of the Jewish faith that the Messiah will come and bail this miserable world out of its misery. That is, that is a hope. Uh, but uh, it, it, it's just not as central a... Uh, I, I went to yeshiva. I'm interrupting my own sentence, which I hate doing. It's, it's I like, do that a lot. To I'm myself. sorry? I do that to me. Yeah, no, no, I know we all do it, but I, I really hate when I do it to myself. It's, it's unprofessional. Uh, but anyway, uh, I went to yeshiva, which is Orthodox Jewish school, very intense, till I was 18, and I continued after 18 even. Uh, half the day is in Hebrew, Jewish studies, and half the day is in English, secular studies. You go from nine to five. I mean, it, it, it was rigorous, but I, I, I learned a great deal. And you will be stunned to know, I would say that in all, let's see, 12 years, uh, the Messiah was probably not discussed for more than 10 minutes. The, this, and it is a wow that is very appropriate for you to make because the, the messianic issue plays a much greater role in, in Christian life than in Jewish life. Jewish life is, is devoted religious Jewish life, to pretty much the question that I asked earlier, what does God want me to do? You, if you really love God, it says in Deuteronomy, you will, you will observe his commandments. That's it. That, that's, that's, it sounds prosaic even, but I, I have to tell you, I think, I, think, I think Jesus was right actually, that in, in some ways they, the Jews went too far with the law. So I'll just end with this, which is a challenge to both faiths. And the reason I feel so comfortable in making it is I love both groups. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I have no, no compunction about saying this. In life, our blessings are often our biggest challenges. If a woman is very beautiful, it's a blessing, but it can be a real burden as well. Or, or any, any, any gift that one may have. So the blessing of Christianity is faith. The blessing of Judaism is law. But it's easy to go too far with either of them. Jews did go too far on the law issue. Uh, I, 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 that's why I'm not completely orthodox. I'm observant, but not as observant as orthodox Jews are. And, and I do believe that, look, there's a great rabbi, you wouldn't know of him, but his name was Menachem Mendel of Kutsk. In, in the, I think, 18th century, he said, sometimes Jewish law is idol worship. Mm. It's a very powerful line. This guy was an ultra-Orthodox rabbi who said that. And I would say to Christians, sometimes faith can be idol worship. When the only thing that matters is faith and not behavior, when the only thing that matters is law and not how good you are, this is what the prophet said, I'm sick of your sacrifices, 
Be decent people. So, and, and what did James say? Yes. Without, your, your faith is nothing without works. Those are the messages that are most critical, in my opinion, to both groups. We have an immense amount to learn from each other. My God, if you only learned the Sabbath from us, you would have an infinitely richer Christian life. The Sabbath has died in most Christians' lives. It's a tragedy. By the way, I have a question for you two, interestingly, and then please answer this. And, and Because I will, I, I will not tell you what I, in my mind, predict, because I've asked this of Christian clergy, I did for 10 years on Religion on the Line, are Christians obligated to the, fifth, uh, the fourth commandment to, to keep the Sabbath? Yes, Guinness? Yes. The book of Colossians says yes, but it's fulfilled in Christ. It says that he is the fulfillment of the Sabbath, that our Sabbath is in him every day. Paul said some men choose to Sabbath on this day, some on the other day, but he said, I esteem every day alike now in Christ, for he is my Sabbath. Right? What's your, what's your response? Uh, same as his. But wait, I, I get to answer the... I get to answer the original, the original question. No, I, wanna, right? I want... Yes. <clears throat> okay, the original question. Moses said to the children of Israel... God will raise up to you a prophet in the future, him you shall listen to. Interesting statement. God gave Moses the law in Mount Sinai, and he gave him many other instructions, right? And we read it. What's interesting is nowhere in the scripture regarding the law does God say, I'm going to save my people by the law. In fact, he said, the day that you break my law, you're going to need what? You're going to need a sacrifice. You're going to need an innocent lamb. And where does that pattern come from? Even before they got to Mount Sinai, we've got the death angel, the, the rescue out of Egypt. What was, and I, I don't, I'd love some, we need to sit down someday and talk about what I'm about to say because it's, who knows if it's right or not, but <laughs> when you read Exodus, the requirement for the death angel to pass over, was it that you were Jew? Did Moses say you got to be a Jew for the angel to pass over? What was the issue? Blood. Innocent blood. What kind of blood? Lamb's blood. So for me, the reason why I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, Dennis is waiting for the Messiah to come. I believe he came and that he's coming again. Here's the reason why is because, first of all, a uh, little bit of correction on, on Dudley, what you had said. Jesus did not fulfill all of the Old Testament prophecies. Not yet. He fulfilled 300. He's coming back to fulfill the others. It's very clear. So, remember that. By the way, all of the 300 that he fulfilled, all of them had to do with the Old Testament regarding God's sacrifice for sin. So, for example, Zechariah 9.9, Hebrew prophet, told Israel, watch out, keep your eyes open. The day the Messiah comes, you'll be able to recognize him. He'll be humble. He'll be riding on the back of a donkey, a colt, that no one has, no one has ever ridden upon. 
You know what we call that? We call it Palm Sunday. Isaiah said that Israel's Messiah would be born of a virgin. That's Isaiah 7.14. The one that would be born of a virgin, it says in Isaiah 9.6, that he would be called the Almighty God and that the governments of the world would rest upon his shoulders. Why does it say that? Because in the beginning, Elohim, I am, plural, God. That's why we believe in a trinity as Christians. So when the people of Israel shouted 2,000 years ago on April 6, 32 AD, Jesus is riding on the back of a donkey and Jerusalem's going crazy. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The, the people thought that this is the Messiah that's going to deliver us from everything. They, the scriptures tell us that they failed to recognize that he came first to deliver us from our sins. That he's coming back someday, not as a suffering savior. I, we believe in Isaiah chapter 53 that the Messiah suffers before he comes back to reign. And then bottom line is this, that King David said in Psalm 22, a thousand years before Christ was born in Bethlehem, that they will look upon me whom they have pierced. And I've been, I will be encircled by Gentiles who, op who will open up their mouths and wag their tongue at me as a curse. It's remarkable. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says that the Messiah would be born in a town called Bethlehem. For out of Bethlehem Epaphratha shall he come forth unto me whose goings forth have been from of old, even eternal. And then here's my final one because I have 59 just like that. But this is my favorite. Solomon said in Proverbs who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound up the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? If you can tell me. That's Proverbs 30, ladies and Proverbs 30. I told you earlier, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, not because of the New Testament. The New Testament records the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. That's how I know in whom I believe. And so, for me, my faith is not in faith. That's kind of a stupid conclusion if your faith is in faith. When you go down to LAX and you get on a plane, trust me, you better not have faith in faith. You better have faith in the God of science who created aerodynamics so that big piece of metal gets off the ground. Right? Think about it. You can say, I have faith, I have faith, I have faith. You're only as safe as the object in which you place your faith in. And for me, it's Yeshua. It's Jesus as Messiah because of the prophesied scriptures. So I, I would like to add something, and that is that I regard, and this, I, I'm not speaking on behalf of all Jews, I'm just speaking on my own behalf, but I regard Christianity as a divine way of bringing the world to Sinai. So I see you 
all of you here, well, nearly all of you, and the two wonderful pastors between whom I'm sitting, as divinely ordained in your Christianity. I don't see you as a false religion. Uh, I, if I did, I would respectfully say, I don't believe that there's truth to it, but I'm happy you have it. I don't, I believe that it is a divine way of bringing the Gentile to Sinai and the world to Sinai. The greatest Jewish philosopher who ever lived, Maimonides, in the 11th century, uh, who was uh, no fan of either Christians or Muslims, he was persecuted by both, yet he wrote at the end of his great work on Jewish law, the Yad HaChazaka, means the strong hand, and he wrote that it's Christians overwhelmingly who have brought the Torah to the world, more than Jews have. And for that, I thank you, and how could I not believe that that is a divine calling, since that's what I want. I want the world to know the Torah, and you're making it possible. You guys, I, I hope you caught the gravity of what Dennis just said. That's massive. Truly massive statement to say. And again, I humbly, on behalf of all the Gentiles in this room, Dennis, you may or may not know this, but the New Testament teaches in the book of Romans, Paul, the Jew, writes to a bunch of Italians, and he reminds them, that it's because of the Jews who have been the ones who have been the custodian of the scriptures that God gave them, that you Romans, that the world can know salvation because of the Jewish care for the scriptures. Remember, your Bible, your New, your New Testament says that. I appreciate the compliment he gave us a moment ago, but we've got to be very specific God appointed the Jews, and he has chosen the Jews, and they have been the protectors of the scriptures. The Bible says so. And, and I, want, I want to just say on behalf of whoever's listening, or I don't know if this is ever going to be rebroadcast, but it is. we need to remember something. We need to remember something. There is a reason why. Look, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but I don't go around whining about how much the Portuguese have been persecuted in life. I'm Portuguese. I don't go around, people shouldn't go around whining about how much they've been persecuted because of this. I don't care what color you are, you shouldn't go around whining about it. If you want to compare persecution to persecution, there's no one that comes close to the satanic attack that has been against the Jewish people as soon as Satan figured out that the Messiah would come from Israel. And it, Satan hates the Jew. And if you're in that realm of thinking, you need to get out of that realm of thinking. The greatest friend and ally on this planet to the Jewish people should be the Christian. And if you're not, something's wrong with your theology. I love you, but something's wrong with your theology. So I'm going to need a car waiting for me immediately after this is over. You just had to get that off your chest, didn't you? <laughs> Dennis, do you, do you feel loved by Christian people? The ratio of love from Christians to me 
vis-a-vis -vis Jews is a thousand to one. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> it, it's a painful truth. Uh, a lot of Jews can't stand me because I'm, I'm, I'm the most well-known conservative Jew. And uh, the, I don't know how, I don't know, it's an interesting question. I don't think about it much because I've never been preoccupied. But you feel it. I'm sorry? You feel it. Oh, I'm going to come to the Christian part in a moment, but I, I'm, I'm dealing with the Jewish part. <laughs> the, but uh, it's, it is important that you know this. Uh, the love that I receive from people like you is very touching to me, but I have never sought to be loved. And you can't be a leader if you seek to be loved. I would betray you if I did. Awesome. So I, I need you to know, I need you to understand that. Also, I have a motto that I developed early in life. I, I don't let compliments go to my head and I don't let insults go to my heart. Everybody should adopt that motto. So as a general rule, Christians love me more than Jews. And the reason is that most Jews don't share my, my social and political views. And I'm, I'm very public and I'm out there, not just out there, but out there as a Jew. So uh, I went from the, the, the second most frequently booked lecturer in Jewish life in my 30s and 40s to almost never booked. <laughs> Only Elie Wiesel got more bookings than I did at the time. And that was because Jews drifted left and I drifted right. I mean, I, the truth is I have the same values I did when I was a Democrat, but they left my values. I didn't leave theirs, in my opinion. As regards Christians, um, it, it is a sort of love affair. And it touches my heart, uh, and I'm very moved by it. It's not something I would have predicted in yeshiva. <laughs> Dennis, you will really be a, a big hero among America's Christians. I, I didn't see that in the cards when I, when I was studying Talmud all day in Aramaic. Uh, just life, it's like Yogi Berra's great line, when there's a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> so, this was my fork in the road. So, it's interesting. My dream is that, that eventually more and more Jews will read my Torah commentary. There are 4,000 reviews on my Bible commentary, nearly all are from Christians, many of whom that brought the, my, my commentaries brought to, to them to faith in God, which makes my day. I love that. But the Jews are a difficult people. God knew that. By the way, I want to tell you something. I, I want to say something on behalf of the Jews, now that I've <laughs> said all these other things. <laughs> uh, first of all, if... Uh, 
<coughs> excuse me, if Jews were not so stubborn and difficult, they never would have survived. I mean, I, I take that as a given. And number two, Jews are annoying, but they don't murder anybody. <laughs> and, and that's a very important little uh, uh, extension. And we appreciate that. Yeah, yes, that's right. Yeah, I'm glad you, that's right. So, you know, perspective is, is, is important here. Also, one final thing. One of the reasons, one of the biggest reasons I believe the Torah is divine is because the Jews are depicted so negatively. There is no holy work on earth that depicts its group as negatively as the Hebrew Bible uh, portrays Hebrews. That people don't make up a crappy past. So it must be divine. And I, and I mean that. That is one of my biggest arguments for the authenticity of, of the book. And the, the heroes of the Torah, which the Torah is primus inter pares, first among equals for Jews. Jews believe in the, in the inspiration of the rest of the Bible, but the, the, the divine origins of the Torah, the five books of Moses, that's always been a given to religious Jews, and it is to me. And in those five books, there are more non-Jewish heroes than Jewish heroes. Very few people think about that, but, the, but there are. Noah was a non-Jewish hero. The daughter of Pharaoh is a non-Jewish hero. She saves Moses. The daughter of Pharaoh. Uh, Jethro is a non-Jewish hero. The, he's a Midianite priest, and without him, Moses couldn't even lead. I mean, the, these uh, the, the Shifra and Puah, the, the Egyptian midwives who don't listen to Pharaoh, uh, I am convinced they're Egyptian. Some people think they were Hebrews, but... The, it's overwhelmingly, uh, I, I, I show in my commentary on Exodus why it's overwhelmingly likely that they were, uh, that they were Egyptian. And, uh, and look at the Jews. I mean, how, you know, Moses is a hero, of course. Uh, Aaron, his brother Aaron, is a very problematic soul. He helps, them, he helps the Jews build the golden calf. What kind of leader is that? And, and, and loses his two sons. Nadav and Avihu, I guess Nadab and Abihu in English. Uh, and and uh, it's, just, it's just endless. Joseph is a hero, that's true. But the brothers are not heroes, right? Although Judah comes out very nice by the end, I have to say. He does. It's a very, very powerful story. Judah, Judah is one of the great metamorphosis stories in the Bible. And I, I love, see, you know this. It's so nice. <laughs> you know what's beautiful about what he's saying is, I mean, get your mind going, right? What about, think about Ruth. Uh, what, about, what about Rahab? Oh, well, that's my favorite. I have to say, you hit, I was just talking Torah. <coughs> She's in Joshua, so I want you to know, I just want to say this, this may not go over well here, I acknowledge this. God could have chosen any Canaanite to let the Jews into Canaan. A Canaanite poet. A, a Canaanite accountant. Plumber. He chose a Canaanite prostitute. I'm a God fan. That, that goes to show you how loving and awesome 
the God, listen, Christian, there is not a God of the Old Testament that's different than the God of the New. That redemptive story, man, think about it. Whatever you've done in life, God forgave and blessed Rahab. Right. If he can do that to Rahab, he can do that to you. He can give you a brand new life. That's what he does. And by the way, all right, so I'm going to say something that I don't know how, I don't think everybody will agree with, but it'll, it, it's thought-provoking for your interest. I think that there's a lesson in that he chose a prostitute. There are a lot of lessons. I think there's a lesson in the fact that Tamar... Judah's daughter-in-law acted as a prostitute and she is the mother of the Messiah. Your Messiah and my Messiah. Now, why would that be? And or what at least what conclusion might we draw from that? I think that in 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 all in all the monotheistic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. I think there has been too much emphasis on sexual sin as the premier sin. That's my theory. And I think God wanted to make that claim by doing that. There are a lot worse people than prostitutes. I want to add one more. This is a tricky one. It's just fun. I just have to get it out. It's why you're here. So who was the first Jew? Abraham. What was he before he was a Jew? (laughs) Where did he live? See this? Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4 says, the just shall live by faith. God told Abraham that he was justified by faith before Moses was born, before Abraham was circumcised, God had already declared 14 years later, you're justified by faith. Isn't that wild? The first Jew, by the way, is this true? That Jew, Judah, Jude, means to praise or a praiser, worshiper? It's interesting. I don't know. I, I, I don't know, and I know biblical Hebrew really well. I never thought of what. The, I thought of it solely that his name was Yehuda. And that came to mean Jew, uh, but I don't know if it has a root. I'll have to. It, it may Let well. Us, no, tell us on the radio tomorrow. We'll All right, that's a deal. I will. What so, time? What time? What time, time will you talk about this? Tune in. Tune in, everybody. Tune in. All right, yeah. the whole three hours. So I just think it's awesome. There's hope for everybody. God calls Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldees, which was a pagan worshiping region of the world. And God reveals himself to him. And I love, it says in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews 11.8, this has been a motto of my life. Abraham went out following God, not knowing where he was going. That's faith. He kept his eyes on the Lord. I mean, he kept his eyes on the Lord a few times. He got off and felt, you know, they went down and... And God said, what are you doing here? And he had to get back on course. But doesn't that happen in life? I'm so grateful that he's a redemptive God. And he's merciful. And when you read David, don't you listen, you guys. Do you read David? 
When you listen to him, you want to be like David. You say, Jack, he committed adultery and he killed the man's, he killed the woman's husband. And I get that. But he also cut off a giant's head. And he was an amazing man of God. Isn't he a picture of a life that is redeemed? David wasn't perfect. He says, I was conceived in iniquity. But David also said, one thing have I desired in my life, and that, that I will live after. That's my pursuit. And that is this, that I might live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I don't know about you, but man, that is, that's what I want. By the way, I would like, I would like to add you're speaking about David and, and, and the immense sins that he committed, not only adultery, but getting arranging for Bathsheba's husband Uriah to, to be killed in war. And yet he is the great leader, uh, the greatest leader uh, in, the, in the Old Testament uh, outside of Moses. And that is the reason that I believe religious people have far more wisdom than secular people as a rule. There are always exceptions. There are religious fools, and there are some secular wise people, but as a rule, and it, it came to fore with Donald Trump. Religious people were not preoccupied. Religious people who, who ironically are very strict on sexual sin were not preoccupied with Donald Trump's sexual sins. Secular people were. We asked what God asked. Are you going to be a great leader, not are you a sinner? God in the Bible talks about Nebuchadnezzar and says he's my servant. Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon. You look at Donald Trump, come on, at the start... Look, the guy's, his tweets back then, he doesn't tweet like he used to. A lot of people miss that, but, uh, but his hair, you know, look. Forget all that stuff, but did you know this? I'm going to tell you something you guys don't know. And the reason why you don't know is because it hasn't been said. Uh, you might appreciate this. Trump gets elected. He's in the cabinet. And a friend of mine, a very dear friend of mine, is inside that room. Donald Trump goes through the business of the day, and he says, is that it? Anything else? No, sir. No, Mr. President. That's it. And he goes, well, there's one more thing. We have failed to bring up the issue of relocating the embassy from Tel Aviv to, to Jerusalem. Listen, listen. Around the room. Uh, sir, uh... Uh, sir, um, the only guy that said you should do it was Ben Carson. Listen. Sad to say, I'm a son of, of a Marine Corps family. It's pretty sad, though, that the Joint Chiefs of Staff, they were in the room, and the Marine General said, Mr. President, with all due respect, I do not have enough Marines on the planet to prevent World War III from happening, should you do that? He's, President Trump said, I didn't ask you if we were going to do it. No, this is true. 
I'm giving it straight to you. President Trump said, I'm telling you we're going to do it because number one, watch this, this is Donald Trump. Number one, I campaigned on it. Number two, the capital of Israel is Jerusalem and everybody knows it. And he said, since June of something under Bill Clinton, it became a law. Did you know that? It was a law that the president was supposed to relocate and, and, and Clinton punted on it. And so did every president, including our dear, uh, listen, <laughs> Trump said, bottom line, we're going to do it because it's the right thing to do. And this is fun. He asked, he said, we are the United States. Don't tell me we do not own land in Israel. I want to see it. We're not leaving this meeting until I see the land we own in Israel. Guess what happened? They waited. Some guys come in with blueprints and all kinds of stuff. They unveil it, put it on the table. I'm getting this from firsthand experience. They laid it out on the table. Trump said, what is that huge piece of land? That's, that's David Friedman's, where, where the uh, ambassador lives. He goes, that's too big. <laughs> Have you been there? Have you been to the embassy? Yep. Yep. Listen. So he said, uh, I, I want the embassy there. And they said, sir, it's going to take $100 million, and it's going to probably take about three to four years. Trump said, May 14th, is Israel's birthday. You have $100,000 to change out the carpets, paint the walls, get Friedman out, and he can sleep somewhere else. This is the embassy. That's what happened. Dennis, did you know that story? Do I know that story? Yeah, did you know that story? Well, not that specifically, but I knew how much opposition there was. My wife and I were invited to dinner with then Vice President Pence and his wife and his daughter. It was just us, another couple, and Eric Metaxas, who many of you know. By the way, I opened up the evening looking at Vice President Pence, I don't think has uh, laughed at a joke in 11 years. And uh, I, I said, Mr. Vice President, I'm really, my wife and I are truly honored to be here at your residence and have dinner with you. I just don't understand why you invited Eric Metaxas. <laughs> and Metaxas and I have a unique relationship of constant insulting of one another. Anyway, he didn't find it funny at all. Uh, I, I did. I often say things that I find funny because I love laughing. If I'm the only one in the room, okay, c'est la vie. But so at that dinner, uh, uh, the vice president said to us, it was really dramatic. He was on the phone with virtually every major world leader telling him, do not move the embassy. Every major world leader telling the vice president, please communicate this to, to, to your president. He can't do it. There's gonna, the, the Arab world will blow up. The Muslim world will blow up. 53 countries are Muslim. You can't do this. The State Department, the same exact thing. You can't do this. Like they told Truman, you can't recognize Israel in 1948 in the State Department, the same State Department. 
and Trump just went his merry old way. It's a very important lesson. And, okay. and by the way, you know what happened? Isn't it funny that the moment that the embassy was relocated, did you, know, what, did you watch nations of the world relocate their embassies too? It happened. Why wasn't it reported? It actually happened. What happens when somebody leads? People will follow. In both That's directions, why you want good, good and bad. That's right, good or bad. All right, we have just a few minutes because uh, we need to pray uh, before we leave, and I want to get you out of here at 845. Uh, I have s some popcorn questions. You know what that means, right? No. It means that you can only give me one-word answers. This, this oh, can't be another that, uh, long. That's not fair. Th this is hard for you. I did that one already when you okay, said, what's your faith I, I, Jewish? I, I just have I a couple. You, that was it. I fulfilled my quota. You can do it. You can do it. It's just a quick question. It's just a quick answer. How many times have you traveled to Israel? About 25. Jack? 21. 21. Have you ever thought about running for public office? A lot. Never. If you ran, what office would it be? Vice president. You want to know why? Yes. I have one mission in life, to influence people. Mm. I have no interest in power. I only have interest in influence. Amen. And a vice president has no power, but has incredible influence. If I went to Oxford, a thousand students would show up. If I went to Bulgaria, 10,000 people would come to a stadium. I want to talk to as many people as possible before I die. I can't believe that the internet has made it possible, but that's all I want to do. I, 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 am, I am in love with the founders of this country. I believe they were prophets. I really do. Never has a co have coalesced so many great God-centered men at one time in one place. And, and they, that's what they wanted. They knew, they knew, as Lord Acton put it, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. They, they made a system where there could be as little power concentrated in any one arena as possible. We're not a democracy, we're a republic. Right. We were not founded to be a democracy. The founders knew that if you let the, the majority rule, you will end up with tyranny. We have seen that now. That is what the left is about. That's why they're crazed in their hatred of the, of the electoral college. Is that a long answer? To yes, that's, that's, yeah. uh, that's a topic for tomorrow's radio show. I'd like to revise my answer, though. Uh, if Dennis is vice president, then I would be president. Okay, okay. All right. Woo! I thought I'd let you know. I love it. All right, uh, a couple more real quick ones. Yes or just yes or no, will Trump run in 2024? Will he run? Yes or no? Uh, are, okay. <laughs> You're putting me on the spot because I also need to answer, do I want him to? No, that's not the question. Just will he run, yes or no? Probably. Jack? Probably. Will Republicans, will Republicans have a landslide victory in the midterms, yes or no? Uh, between now and November is so long, so much could change that I, 
I respectfully do not answer the question on prediction. All right. I just want to answer that a little further. <laughs> I am very clear about my life and what people should do. I am working toward their victory. I do not predict it. I, I believe that Republicans will win. I don't know if it will be a majority because I predict rhinos will lose. The rhinos will be flushed out. They're going to lose. So how many office seats are held by rhinos? We're going to be finding out. So I don't know if they're going to win, but it's possible. Depends on how many rhinos are in the camp. Two more. What do you love about KKLA and KRLA? What, what do I what? What do you love about, about them? Oh, I have a good answer for that. Let me hear it. Popcorn. I do. I, I will tell you. This is a very important question to me. I, I usually know why I'm funny. Why was I funny on that one? That it's an important question? Because we're running out of time. Are you running out of time? It's worth it. Listen. This is a, I have a very serious answer to that question. When I interview conservatives who live in Europe, European conservatives, at the end of the interview, I almost always have said for years, you know what the big difference between your country and my country is? And they go, what? We have talk radio and you don't. And every one of them says that's exactly right. Talk radio has been the backbone of conservatism in the United States of America. I've worked, I've worked with Salem since 1999. I adore them. And I adore them because they're in it. They want to make a profit, and I hope they make millions of dollars, but they're in it for the idealism. I worked for ABC for 20 years before K KRLA and, and Salem. They were in it for the money. Disney was in it for the money. That's why I left them. They had no interest in values. The smuttier the, the, the talk, the better they liked it because they thought they would get more people. So I, I have seen both worlds. That's why, by the way, I always tell people at speeches for any of my stations around the country, please support their sponsors because they're the people who make talk radio possible. That's exactly right. Jackson. I love what Dennis said a moment ago. Did you catch the word? Profit. I want KKLA, I want Salem Broadcasting to profit. You say, well, how does that work? Well, they charge ministries like us to be on. What's wrong with that? Nothing, it's perfect. God's people in worship invest in the ministry that they're involved in here. Some of that is taken and it costs money to be on the radio. Let me ask you, listen, follow, follow this through. Follow the prophet. In this world, nobody works for a poor person. What happens is they make a profit because they're doing a good work. That's a biblical concept. Secondly, what they provide is the opportunity for us to preach the gospel to millions of people every day. So listen to this. From, from worship in the pews through the ministry 
to KKLA, Salem Broadcasting, out to the recipient that's driving in traffic or sitting at home. Salvations are made. And you want to talk about a profit? That's the profit. How much money will you spend to bring one soul into eternity? Think about it. Some economies roll in certain areas. Isn't it amazing that Jesus said you will choose to either worship God or money? I think that's amazing. When the children of the kingdom can take money and use it to advance his word, that's what changes world. That's what change. That's what we need in America. We don't need the answer is not in the White House and it's not in the State House. The answer is in God's house because if the truth is told, people's lives are affected, which is why there are people in Congress who want to pass laws to shut KKLA up and to shut Salem down because those that are in that family are hate speech propagandists. Why? Because we don't sing their songs and we don't promote their mantra of social justice or isms. We preach the gospel. Dennis speaks truth. And that's worth investing in. I'm grateful to Salem. We work with them for years. Going to keep doing it. All right. Let's all stand and let's thank our guests here today, Dennis Prager and Jack Hibbs. Let's thank the Lord for them. This Jack Hibbs podcast, as well as all the broadcast outreach opportunities, are listener-supported. Will you consider partnering with us through a special gift? Go to jackhibbs.com to learn more and stay connected.